live with intentionality and purpose. So if you can somehow do that and don't let life happen to you, but be deliberate and intentional and find your purpose or do things with meaning, Mm. then I think that's amazing. I think the piece of advice I would give you is to follow your heart and don't just do things because that's what you're supposed to do. All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Chai in Our 20s. My name's Pallavi. And my name is Sharon. And Pallavi, how are you doing today? I am doing well. I, you know, had a long day, but I was able to get everything I needed to get done. That's what we love to hear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, you know... I needed this. I needed things to work out in terms of like getting things done. Mm-hmm, Cause you know, mm-hmm. when you like have things that you've been putting off such as your health, um, quick update, uh, I was finally able to get everything I needed to get done and it was fabulous. Okay. We'd love to hear that. Um, I wish <laughs> I could mood say swing the same. I know. <laughs> from last week to this week. Absolutely. She said it went smoothly. She got it done. Assuming the blood work was good. Yeah. Well, I still have no Wi-Fi, so that's my update for the day. Um, so we're out here. It's okay. We're at the the parentals. <laughs> parentals. <laughs> we love that. We love that you are a resourceful queen who was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over it. I'm so over it. I'm. But also, today. it really made me like honestly truly realize how much I am dependent on wi-fi and like how much my life revolves around it so it was a moment Mm -hmm. of me being like yeah I have data but I don't have unlimited data either so it's like I kind of had to like ration it I was like okay because it's also like the beginning of the month like my you know Mm. cycle just started but it's okay we're here we're alive and workplaces need to provide wi-fi if we're (sighs) working from home I wish that was a thing. I wish we got to a point where that, that'd be so cool. I don't know if that would ever become a thing, but. I'm ready to advocate. That'd be a very cool thing. (laughs) I use the Uh, word advocate. That's like transitioning right into our episode today. Oh my goodness. We didn't talk about what we're sipping on. Well, we could just do it now. (laughs) You know, not me keeping all of these conversations in because I think they humanize the conversation (laughs) but like really I'm kind of like lazy to edit things out but now you know behind the scenes what are you sipping on today I'm sipping on water what are you sipping on I was sipping on water but then I also am sipping on Starbucks you know like that that TikTok that's like the height of luxury is drinking three liquids at once one for hydration which is water one for energy, which is coffee, oh, yes. and one for fun. I don't really have, I'm not at the height yet. <laughs> I don't have a third beverage, but you know, we're, we're there. Here. We're almost there, two thirds. That's pretty sick. So, I mean, you know what? That's a great way to transition into what we're going to be talking about today because we kind of covered a little bit talking about health. And with that, um, we're actually going to be speaking to Dr. Perna today on today's episode where we're going to talk about everything related to advocating about our health in our 20s, women's health. Uh, We kind of touch upon the topic of 
uh, gaslighting and what that means and what medical gaslighting means. And we are excited to kind of dive into this conversation and we hope that you enjoy it and let us know what you think. All right. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good. Thriving. (laughs) That's what we love to hear. Um, So today we have a special guest joining us on our discussion. And I would like to introduce everyone to Dr. Perna. Um, she is actually someone who I've known prior and, uh, and I've actually gone to her for advice as well for another project that I had to do. <laughs> um, so she seems to be my go-to clinician recently. Um, and she is also of South Asian descent, um, an advocate for women and women's health. And specifically, she specializes in lifestyle medicine. Um, so before we get started into our conversation specifically, Um, Would you like to explain to us what lifestyle medicine is? Yeah, for sure. Um, Thank you for having me. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and the work you ladies are doing, and I'm just thrilled to be here. So lifestyle medicine, I certified in December through the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, and it is the evidence-based approach to preventing, treating, and often reversing chronic medical conditions such as diabetes, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And there are a number of pillars and they include healthy eating, which is predominantly a whole food plant-based diet, physical activity, mental health, sleep hygiene, social connections and positive relationships, as well as avoiding risky substances. And like I said, it's evidence-based. So there's a lot of research that supports these interventions can have meaningful impacts and clinical outcomes for people with chronic medical conditions. So that's what it is in a nutshell. (laughs) Right up our alley, like (laughs) lifestyle behavior, like that is very much so us. And I love that it's in the realm of preventive care. And I think it's such an important conversation that I think is kind of new, right, to medicine in that it's been so reactionary for so long. So it's such a fresh breath of air to hear you talk about all of these pillars and talking about it before, you know, you have to interact with the healthcare system too much. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. It is unfortunately new to the public. The research dates back to 60s, 70s, and even 80s, right? But I think it's it's the way the world is going and this is what we need given the rise of chronic medical conditions, right? It's time for us to take ownership of our health and we have to be mindful of our lifestyles. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we continued learning even through like our masters and things like that was just like patient-centric care, right? So this is kind of bringing that aspect back into it and like that focus on like giving patients the autonomy and like basically the control of like, you know, their care overall, which like you oftentimes don't see that, or it's like, you're not educated in that sense to be able to, right. See that. So, um, I think this is a great way and I'm super excited that this is what you focused on. Cause this is news to me as well right now. So awesome. Yeah. I'm here for it. I think we're going to jump into our conversation. Um, we want to tailor this toward overall health advocacy um, for both men and women. And then we kind of want to dive in a little bit deeper into women specifically, and then also adding in that extra layer for uh, women of color. So we kind of wanted to jump off with how would you, or how do you define women's health advocacy? So women's health advocacy, I think 
In my own words, you know, without looking up anything, I would say I define this as empowering women such that they can take ownership of their health and wellness. It's all encompassing and it will involve biological, psychological, and social factors. It's providing women with knowledge and resources to help them better understand their bodies and their health so that they can take action to maintain health. And it's also about empowering men and key stakeholders within the community that influence our health. Mm -hmm. So I think health advocacy for women isn't specifically focused on women, but everybody in society has to, to play a role. I agree with that, actually. Um, it's one of those questions I realized that, like, you know, that answer pertains to so many industries, not even just, like, healthcare. Right. But at the end of the day, like, I think, yeah, you need to find those champions. You need to find those, like, within the community who are also there to, like, again, take care of our health. So For sure. For sure. And it's about speaking up for yourself and ensuring that you put yourself first and do it with an educated approach, I think. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But do you think there's a potential like privilege in being able to kind of even do that? Right. I think we can think about it in a Canadian context. I mean, having, you know, a, a mom who is, you know, being an immigrant myself, in fact, right? But then me being integrated more into the system versus her trying to navigate the healthcare system, I see key differences in sort of that advocacy. So, you know, what role do you think privilege plays in being able to advocate for our health and how can we overcome the barriers and how can we advocate for other women? Oh, for sure. I think privilege plays a huge role. Um, you know, education is one of the social determinants of health, right? And not just education, like formal schooling, university, but just health education, health literacy. You know, you might not have access to these things. And it's funny for me, it's hard for me to sort of gauge this because I'm so deep into the field of study that I sometimes am so surprised by the lack of knowledge that's out there. Mm -hmm. And I've, my, my circle is all people that have studied healthcare. Or, you know, so when I'm interacting with patients or friends, sometimes not in medicine, I'm shocked that they don't know certain things. Right. And I notice that that's an issue, you know, when patients are so unaware and they're unaware that they're unaware. So mm. to put it simply, you know, you don't even know what you don't know. And I think that can be very challenging, especially overwhelming when you're trying to navigate your own health. Right. So I think knowledge is power and I think it's important for people to educate themselves on their health so that they know how to take action, you know, and medicine has changed. So back in the day, you know, you needed to go to your doctor, there was an acute infection, it needed to be diagnosed and you needed a medication. But as we were talking about earlier, there's now a lot of chronic medical conditions, right, which require management on the patient's part. But I feel like patients don't have an understanding of what they're doing and why they're doing it, why they have to take a certain medication or why exercise is important. So they then often end up not taking action. And this becomes a whole problem because the patient's health outcomes are suffering. The doctor's frustrated because the patient is quote unquote non-compliant and it just turns into a whole mess and everyone is left dissatisfied. So there is a privilege and I personally want to work with the populations that don't have the same privilege that I've, I've gained uh, and 
sort of bridge that gap wherever I can. Um, I've started a knowledge translation platform with that same goal in mind, right? So that I can use all of the knowledge that I've gained from med, from med school and sort of relay that to the general public so that, you know, they can equip themselves and go out into the world. Can I ask what this is called? The knowledge <laughs> platform? Yeah. So yeah, the knowledge platform, it's still, I haven't launched it yet, but, um, Oh, sneak preview. Ooh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's called, it's called inspired to, um, so my name in Sanskrit, my name in Sanskrit means inspiration and inspired to fun fact my brother came up with it because I wanted to be cheesy and call it inspired wellness but of course it was taken because it's <laughs> so cliche <laughs> so my brother came up with inspired to so to for Toronto like inspired Toronto oh nice or, okay um inspired to do something mm-hmm. and I feel like lately over the past couple of years I've been more inspired to walk a path that's less taken right and uh, it's challenging and difficult but I've somehow found the courage to do it and I want to impart that to other people around me so I love this where me I too so oh my goodness <laughs> like I'm kind of obsessed and I love that you know like we I love that you want to work with populations that need the support. Right. And, um, I think we've spoken about this before about how like these grocery prices are not okay. Inflation is not okay. Um, trying to get active is kind of difficult, especially given the Canadian context of, you know, eight months, you can't really go outside. Mm -hmm. So I think there's so much to be done there in terms of education, right? How can we eat healthy on a budget? Oh my God, that is, <laughs> that is a whole conversation. And I agree. I remember when I was in Chicago doing my clinicals, I went to IHOP, right? They have that in the States. It's like a pancakes, pancake like mm-hmm. place and milkshakes, pancakes, diner foods, basically everything <laughs> carb, right? I think they have a Niagara like once yeah, I'm like, I think they have oh, a yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw an, a big billboard that said, kids eat free on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And their portion sizes are massive. Mm. And where I was in Chicago and like on the south side of Chicago, which is, you know, a marginalized population and doesn't have a lot of, you know, resources. And there's a lot of single parent households. I was like, why wouldn't you go here to feed your kids for free? You would almost be making a wise decision to go there. Right. The struggle is so real, you know, when you're trying to figure out, do I pay my electricity bill or do I worry about food? And that's another privilege, right? And if you think about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, not to get into another whole side conversation, but when you're struggling for basic things like housing, other things on the hierarchy, you know, just sort of become difficult to achieve, right? Yeah. You like start neglecting a lot of the other things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I guess that kind of also like tailors it into like, I mean, you know, with your new knowledge translation platform, I guess, like, how would you um, reach out to like those who are in their 20s or, you know, like specifically for those in their 20s, like, how do you make one more aware of their health um, for both men and women, right? Like, how is it that or, you know, like Pulvi is mentioned before about her ankle and like I've mentioned previously before about like you know me making sure that I had to go through like some specialists and things like that and like even just overall though like 
us putting more emphasis on our health right now because I know a lot of us are very much more career driven or very much more like school driven right now you know and you want to do a postgrad this and like a lot of times again this is coming from a place of privilege and I, I acknowledge that our goals are a little bit different but sometimes putting health on the number one list is a little bit harder um and then obviously again for like women right because women in our 20s where our bodies are changing things like that as well so like how do we I guess advocate for that more or you know push us to go seek yeah medical, I, <laughs> medical I think care it's funny that you you're it, it's already happening I think I was actually inspired by my patients in the rigid clinical setting to think differently and start this platform because what we were offering in the clinic setting was not completely fulfilling to me you know we we half did it um, but there was still a part that was missing and I could sense that the part that was missing is what the patients were seeking out the most. So I think it's already happening. I just sort of have to, yeah, present myself in the places where they would go. I, one idea that I had was to partner with primary care settings and clinics and, and sort of get the buy-in and build the trust with the physicians that are practicing there and, offer educational classes. I, I was working at a clinic and this was just, you know, the pandemic had just started. So it was kind of like, nobody was trying to come to the clinic, but I asked the physician, can I hold educational classes so mm -hmm. that I can teach these patients about diabetes? What is diabetes? What is high cholesterol? Why do you have to take your statin at 7 PM and not 7 AM, you know? And he was so supportive and totally up for it. It just never panned out because the pandemic started and all of those different things. Right. Right. I think this is unique because I'm, I'm hesitant to go the social media route because there's a lot of information or maybe misinformation. If you Google something about your health, it takes you straight to cancer. <laughs> and that's just not how medicine works. Right. And and so I want to do it in a manner that will build trust, right? So I, I do think doctors are highly trusted and I wanna maintain that, but I wanna add a new layer to it. And right. beyond patient-centered, I wanna make it relationship-centered. That's a new term that I learned and have been obsessed with. Um, one of my, my boss actually at my company right now where I work, uh, he introduced me to this book called communication rx or communication prescription mm -hmm. and it talks about the importance of communicating with your patients such that you can build a relationship-centered care so it's a partnership and you're equally important and you're equally involved in decision making which i think is monumental right patient-centered I've, I've had that backfire where i was trying to be patient-centered and i asked the patient one time oh, like these are your options. What do you want to do? And I thought I was doing so amazing. Like, look at me being patient-centered. And the patient was like, you're the doctor, you tell me and sort of <laughs> right. lost trust, oh. you know? And, and that was not my intention. So it's all about how you communicate and build that relationship and then work together for the best possible outcome. I really love that because I know just like, couple minutes ago, I was talking about patient centric. So to me, this is a very new term as well. Right. And I think this is another book for us to add onto our <laughs> list. <laughs> yes, I will share it with you later. It's amazing. I've, I'm obsessed with it right now. 
No, that's amazing. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, relationship goes a long way because it's hard for me to even believe, like, do I have a, I mean, I guess, I guess I do have a relationship with like my primary care physician, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, you brought up a really, like, I'm like thinking about it too now. I'm just like, huh? Yeah. It, I don't, it's a different- I, I'm just like, wow. I don't think, I, I think I literally vented last episode. It's not out yet, but when it is, um, people <laughs> are going to hear about how wild the healthcare system is and our experiences. And I think that I think that relationship building is important and I see like the new students coming out of medical school, friends who are in medical school are learning about all of these things and they're applying them. But then I see some of the other physicians who are already in the field who seem to have been bogged down by a system, Yeah, especially in the primary care setting who are just like, what do you want? Okay. You want me to write this? Cool. Okay. Bye. Like I usually go in with my own diagnosis and I'm like, I think this is what's wrong. So can you write me this? And you know, like she never touched my ankle, like my doctor, she was just (laughs) like, okay, I'll write this. Okay. Bye. Like I have two seconds. Like I don't have, I don't have time for you, which kind of leads me to ask you a little bit about medical gaslighting. Is that, you know, what is medical gaslighting and what does it look like? And are certain people more likely to face medical gaslighting than others. Yeah. So gaslighting is a term that actually originated from an old black and white movie called Gaslight, where a man pushes his wife to doubt herself or her own sanity through a series of manipulative tactics. And it caused her to question her own perception of reality. I haven't seen the movie. This is just based on my research, right? But it looks cool. Um, maybe I should check it out or maybe we I'll should get all watch it. I know. And I'm and like, I'm like okay. of course, <laughs> of course <laughs> this happened. As you were describing it, I was like, of course, the patriarchy yeah. did this too. Right, exactly. <laughs> so so the term gained popul- popularity, you know, in the psychological world, right? In the psychiatry world, right? So, um, but it, it reaches beyond the domestic space and can reach into cultural and professional settings as well. And I read an article recently from the Canadian Family Physicians Journal, and it talked about how gaslighting, medical or otherwise, is entrenched in power structures or power struggles. So women often have been gaslit, and that's because our patriarchal society is set up such that women lack the cultural, economic, and social capacity to effectively gaslight men, right? Mm -hmm. So... The article talked about how this patriarchal dynamic is still happening in medicine and it can be further exacerbated when you throw in other issues such as ageism, sexism, classism, all of these things. So anyone in a position of power can be the perpetrator and, you know, doctor patient relationships, it's usually the doctor that's, you know, in the position of power, right? which is why I think it's important to move towards that relationship-centered care approach so that you're approaching it as equal, right? Not to take away from the physician at all. I think we owe respect to the physician because it takes literally blood, sweat, and tears to get, get that MD, right? So I definitely think it should be respected, but I think the privilege shouldn't be abused, right? So if the physician uses their power to dismiss an individual's health concern, then that's not appropriate. And this I think is so- like the white coat theory as well. Sorry. Like, yeah, yeah. It, like, I think that's what like came to my mind was when you were talking about, you know, the dynamic between a physician and a patient, yes. 
like at the end of the day, like if a physician tells me something, I'm going to most likely listen to it, right? Like I, right. but sometimes it is like, I think that's where like, you know, from personal experience, like um, when I had to go see like, you know, from a specialist, like I remember the first thing when I walked in was them saying that, oh, like you're too young to be here kind of like, you know, so there was that bit of dismissal that you had just mentioned and you kind of covered that. And mm-hmm. so I think like, um, but at the end of the day, they're a specialist, like, you know, I, I know they went through so many years of schooling and everything. And so it's like, that is in the back of my mind. Like I do see that white coat kind of theory, like mm-hmm. applying, especially like you, you mentioned as well, like, you know, when you come in with a, maybe coming in as a younger age and you're already being put on the spot for being young, right? right. Like, you know, so. It's sure. scary. And can I just say that I, I, I know that you're absolutely right in saying that there's so much expertise involved, so many years, time you know, even money, right? Like so much goes into it. But I I firmly believe that people are experts of their own bodies, right? Like, you know, as a person when you've been feeling good, you know, for the past couple of years and then you don't. So I think there needs to be that better relationship building where that could be respected. I think the patient's expertise of being their own body's expert needs to be respected just as the expertise that a clinician has in being the specialist in, whatever field that they're in needs to be respected. Um, And that helps establish those relationships, right? That you spoke of. No, I I completely agree. And I don't even know if gaslighting is the most appropriate term, but I can definitely say I've seen physicians, you know, sometimes dismiss a patient's symptoms. Um, And I don't, I I think it was in in a pure intention, you know, where, for example, a young 30-year-old woman will come in concerned about a heart attack, right? But the physician, based on their clinical knowledge and educational background, can determine that this is not a heart attack and this is more likely a panic attack. But that discernment is lost in translation and it's not effectively communicated to the patient. And so it comes off as being dismissed, right? And this leaves a patient feeling unheard. Instead, I think what you need to do as a physician or provider is listen carefully, thoroughly understand, because anything can happen. A 30-year-old can have a heart attack, right? At the end of the day, Uh, it's not common, but you have to be mindful that anything is possible. But then after all of that, use your critical thinking. And the next step is to iterate to the patient in a manner they can understand so that they're consoled, feel heard, validated, and then reassured. But like we said, there are gaps in this communication and interpersonal relationship building skills. And I think doctors are so overworked. And I remember in undergrad, I was studying health promotion and um, it was like, oh, it's outrageous that family doctors only have 15 minutes. And I was advocating hard for the patient side, right? But then when I got into med school and I saw the clinic side as, as the physician side, I was like, oh my God, exhausted myself. And I was like, okay, yeah, you broke your ankle. Yeah, it, it kind of makes sense. Okay, did you hear a pop sound? Is the pain proportionate? Okay, let's just do an x-ray and then we'll take it from there. Like sometimes you don't have time, you know? And I'm not saying any of this is okay. I'm just identifying there's lots of room for improvement mm-hmm. and it requires a multi-dimensional systemic approach. And if patients are involved, in sort of a manner that will alleviate these pressures, then I think that's awesome, you know? And and you are a master of your own body. I remember reading on a form, a diabetic form one time, uh, I don't even know who this is, but whoever commented on it was saying, 
yes, doctor, I understand you studied diabetes for 10 years, but I've lived with it for 30 years. Mm. And that is, that hit me reading that. I was like, wow, that is so true. You know? Powerful. Yeah, yeah very. very powerful. Yeah, because like, I think with everything that you were saying too, is like sometimes, um, like I know there was like that from like one study specifically where they said that, you know, um, women who are coming in with like severe stomach pain had to like almost wait 33% longer than men in like the emergency room. And like oftentimes, sometimes I think about that as like, you know, like the pain threshold that maybe women have versus what men have. Um, And I don't know, like, I mean, again, this is obviously going to be very much so like down to that individual woman, but like, I want to assume that women can withstand a little bit more pain just because, you know, biologically, like every month, like I was like, we're going through it. (laughs) So like, I'm like, I don't know, like, is that part of the bias? So it's like, sometimes like, if we are in pain, we might not like, we might like kind of just continue on with our day. You know, we might not, we might not bring it to attention as quickly as say, for example, a male counterpart might, because for them, this is like out of the blue for us. It's more like, oh, this could just be something else. Like it just could be another cramp or this could just be, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering like, is that something that, you know, you could see being put into effect? Is that something that you could, I don't know, speak on maybe? Yeah. I And I think this is very interesting too. And you hear about all of these um, cultural biases, right? Uh, black women are less likely to receive or, or be offered an epidural or, you know, all, all these type of things or people with red hair apparently have higher pain tolerances and all sorts of things. And, and, and don't quote me on this because this is stuff I've read a while ago and I, you know, it's not mm-hmm. fresh in my mind, but when you read these things, I'm like, I don't really know if, if this is true or not. But what I do know is that cognitive biases occur Mm. and they definitely influence a provider. And a cognitive bias is a way of thinking that influences reasoning and decision-making and can sometimes result in inaccurate judgments, right? Mm -hmm. So they're distortions of thinking and even affective, meaning mood, biases where a physician's feelings may interfere with reaching the correct diagnosis, right? So this is so important to the point where the Canadian Medical Protective Association has provided a resource to physicians to help them identify and correct their cognitive biases such that it doesn't negatively influence their decision-making. And I'll give you an example of when I have seen this. So speaking of abdominal pain, funnily enough, there was this girl that came in, she was like 19 and she was non-Caucasian. She came in because she had abdominal pain and the physician, you know, took the history and did the physical and then was sort of writing his notes. And he ended off with, okay. And yeah, so you're not sexually active. So, okay, cool. So yeah, nothing to worry about. And Mm -hmm. he walked out the room. I was still there and I saw her face and she was just distraught. Right. And I could sense that something was going on. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And she goes, I'm worried. I'm worried about something. And I was like, okay, like, tell me what's up. And she was like, I'm worried. I have pelvic inflammatory disease, right? PID, which can occur if you have an untreated gonorrhea or chlamydia infection. 
which are STDs, which you acquire through sexual activity. And it can present with abdominal pain. So again, not one of the main symptoms, right? But Google takes you straight to worst case scenario. And she had a hard time in the emergency room because her parents were there with her. So when the ER doctor asked, are you sexually active? She lied and she said no. So now she had to take time out outside of school to come see another doctor away from her family and do this. But then she couldn't even address the one thing that she came in for. So I had to get in, talk about the pathophysiology of PID and reassure her that it's unlikely. But then we did the whole STD screening and the testing. And I think when these types of situations are encountered where you're not, I don't know if gaslit is the word, but it's, it's dismissed. The concern is dismissed and you're allowing your own biases to influence your care. I think that's going to be very, very tricky and challenging. And so when I went back to the doctor and he asked me, he's like, Oh, what, what was going on? Like, why'd you take so long in that patient room? And then I explained the whole story and he was like, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I guess I can't assume anything. You know, she's Canadian at the end of the day. And he was also non-Caucasian, right? And so I appreciate that he had a moment of realization for himself. And I simply said, yes, that is what it is, right? She may have these cultural values, but she, I think, has a dual identity, much like we do, especially as South Asian women and immigrants and, you know, the BIPOC population, right? So I think it's important for us to do the work to educate ourselves appropriately and then we can bring up those concerns with our our physicians right yeah that's a wild story the fact that you like there's that almost like the, the parents being in the room influences what somebody might say and you know through my volunteering experiences I've seen it happen and there are parents who are like I want to go in and this is a children's hospital and when they're older they they ask the kid and they're like, yeah, I don't want my mom here. So it's, it leads to a lot of like issues, but I think it's also important to be able to advocate for the patient at the end of the day, especially given if they're older, old enough and can make their own decisions. But how do you, with all of the stories and the conversation we've had today, how can one advocate for themselves within the healthcare system? Like tangible things we can do tangible things <laughs> like not like you know like share a post on social media that's tangible don't get me wrong I think yeah, it's important yeah, to raise yeah. awareness but let's say I'm going in sharing you know shared her experiences what is something she could do to ensure that she be is being heard um she is being listened to and that appropriate action is being taken I think and I'm gonna say grow a pair of ovaries am I allowed to say that <laughs> <laughs> we love that <laughs> grow a pair of ovaries and I think it starts with courage. Why I say girl pair is have the courage, first of all, be brave. Um, a tangible resource, Brene Brown, look her up. She's amazing. Read her books and learn how to be brave. How that relates to your health, I think. Um, I think if you're seeking care, you deserve to focus on you, right? So in the example of this 19 year old girl who was sexually active, it was obvious that her cultural background, you know, didn't encourage premarital sex, right? So with that in mind, learn what you value as a woman, as a woman of color, 
um, and what you value for your health and be authentic with it, right? So learn about the practices from your heritage that you want to uphold, but also understand that it's okay to respectfully forego things that don't serve you. And watch how you speak to yourself. If you judge yourself or you're shaming yourself, you open the door for others to do the same, right? Mm -hmm. So you just walk into the doctor's office and you say, I have anxiety, I need help. And he or she, as the provider can look at you, you could be black, you could be Indian, you could be white, it doesn't matter. But if you don't react in a way that will be inviting for a judgment or a negative uh, connotation to the whole encounter, then they won't, right? It should be as easy as I'm hungry, I'm gonna find a burger. I have anxiety, I want help, right? I think there's there's that. So how you speak to yourself and how you treat yourself mentally first and then physically. And then two, I think is finding trusted resources for education, um, to educate yourself, sorry. When I Google, I don't go on regular Google, I go on Google Scholar. Um, if you don't have access to like anything, right? The, the simplest thing you could do is go on Google Scholar maybe, and that way you'll have evidence-based or research articles, you know, if you want to. I don't encourage you to go into a deep dive and go into a rabbit hole of researching about your medical conditions, right? But use a trusted source, government websites, public health websites, um, academic institutions, right? And I think you just need to have a base level, but I think it just goes back to more so how you communicate your concern to the physician so that they take you seriously. If, and I don't even think it has anything to do with what you're, you're speaking about, right? If you speak with confidence and courage and with respect or in a manner that um, invites respect or, or, you know, uh, I don't know what the word is, but speak in a way where the other person has no choice but to receive everything with respect, right? Um, am I making sense? I feel like I'm you, not. <laughs> you are, you are. I, I think I kind of wanted to just jump in from, so coming in from like another perspective, like a patient perspective, what do you do though when you're feeling burnt out? Like you're burnt out by the number of times that you've had to like re-explain your story, right? Um, for someone, say for example, who needs to seek further um, help other than just their primary clinician, right? So they know that they have to go see a specialist after, or that's what they're pushing for, right? But then they're still trying to identify what it is. As a patient, sometimes you often feel burnt out. Like, yes, the first time I'm confident. I'm confident going in, I'm courageous going in. But when I have to repeat my story several times over and over again, and people aren't believing me, what do you do then, right? Like, I think, yeah, that's something I feel like a lot of patients go through. And I know a lot of women who've gone through that as well. And so that's why I was like something in my head where I'm like, you know, we do start off confident, I promise you. Yeah. But then yeah. as you go through the system, you're less and less confident because, hey, they're not believing you. And that's so challenging. And I wish I had an answer that's like, oh, this is exactly what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But I think 
there there are gaps and this goes into a you know again another topic of privilege but there are private companies you know that will give you health care if, if your insurance provides it right. there's telemedicine services out there that you can reach out to um, so grateful I work for such a company that offers that um, teledoc health but honestly I think at that point it's it's not giving up um, mm -hmm. and I know there's burnout um, maybe take a break talk to uh, a trusted friend and sort of see and I think I would need a little bit more context you know where is it you feel something is wrong and the provider is denying that something's wrong or you know ha has there been any type of initial workup done or I, I think I would need a little bit more context no for um, sure I think it's more of like a general like consensus like I was just like thinking of like other stories and like yeah my story is like where sometimes you just kind of get a little bogged down where it's like or even just things like I know with like mental health too right like it is very much it's still a gradient right there aren't like yes it, it's not concrete black or white yeah and yes. so um I think that was also like I remember when I took a lot of like mental health courses and stuff like that that's something that we always learn is that we talked about there's conscious biases right like and oftentimes like mental health is also very much so new to the POC population, I think in terms yeah, of like yeah. identifying and talking about it, right? Yeah, and realizing sure. that there's intergenerational trauma that's causing you for to have sure. this XYZ, right? For sure. So um, I think I think you're right. Like, I think it does come down to a lot of patient awareness and talking about it and realizing. And then oftentimes I think we kind of just go about our days to day to, with a lot of stuff that we're still right. carrying, right? Like. And so I don't know, it's one of those things where I'm like, how do we, how do we close that gap? How do how, we being yeah. in our twenties, you know, like not repeat the same cycle. Right. And that's why I love lifestyle medicine because everything is rooted back, back in our minds. I, I feel like if the physical health route or your advocacy in that route isn't working, then think about maybe what you can change within yourself, maybe a perspective or your outlook or mindset on certain things. I really liked what you said there where it was just like it comes back to like mental health equals physical health right like a yeah. lot of our like mental manifestations actually do translate into physical symptoms yeah and I think like but which is also like wild to me because sometimes people don't believe you have like or like you know they don't fully understand mental health until they realize like oh my goodness no wait this is actually you have panic attack panic attacks or like oh you have numbness and tingling like right yes and like yes. yeah those things weren't initially like you describe it and you're like you think it you think it's a physical thing right but then you don't realize wait no this is actually not like this is related back to mental health yeah and so yeah. i think it's kind of like people being a bit more aware of that you know anxiety can cause you to have a like a numb tongue or you know yes, cause exactly. you to have like tingling and sensations in your fingers right yes. so urinary urgency heart palpitations constipation all of those are physical but yeah. again, like I said, the constipation isn't because of a gastric issue, mm. right? It's, it's things aren't functioning. It's no one has time to rest and digest when you're on high alert. This is not the time <laughs> to focus on digestion. This is the time to run from right. a bear, right? And right. our nervous system hasn't adapted, right? Anxiety was a protective mechanism where your amygdala and your brain would alert you if you saw a bear so you you can run you get blood flowing to your to your muscles so you run 
you know, your tongue gets dry because again, this is not the time to rest and digest. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's divert energy where it's necessary. But the problem is nowadays, stress is not physical in the sense there is no bear that we're running away from physically, right? They've turned into other types of stressors. But again, our brain has not caught up and we don't know how to interpret that. So our amygdala is like, oh my gosh, I have a test coming. And then, oh, no time for digestion. Let's be constipated while we study for this test. <laughs> so, Wait, are you saying humans weren't built to be tested? What? <laughs> oh my goodness. And there it is. That is the truth. That is the moment we were waiting for. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Get rid of tests. I've probably yeah. taken the most tests ever on earth like oh my gosh but i can't, I can't with not <laughs> a standardized test are also just not so i want to do like a full 180 and i think this is a question we ask all our guests although you're our second guest but we're going to ask all our guests <laughs> i love it um <laughs> establishing a pattern here yeah what is one piece of advice from your 20s that you would like to leave us and our listeners with funny because I was thinking about this on my walk and I was like I'm so excited to be on this you know podcast China or 20s and I'm like psych 31 uh so not <laughs> not in my 20s and honestly I think my 20s happened to me and I wasn't an active participant in my own life and that sounds super sad and gloomy that's not where I'm going with this but I think now in my 30s, which is the new 20s, let's be real, I'm actually able to... And we got another 10 more years of this. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> no, but I love what you ladies are doing. I think live with intentionality and purpose. So if you can somehow do that and don't let life happen to you, but be deliberate and intentional and find your purpose or do things with meaning, mm. then I think that's amazing. I think the piece of advice I would give you is to follow your heart and don't just do things because that's what you're supposed to do. Get rid of rules, get rid of what society and structures and authority have told you. And you can do it in a respectful manner and I think you need to learn to choose yourself, put yourself first and live with intention and purpose. Wow. That was our quotable moment. It really the podcast was. Brought to you by good old water. Cause that's what we're sipping on today. <laughs> I love it. We need sponsors for a quotable moment of the podcast. I know one day we're going to get there. We're going to get there <laughs> manifesting that. <laughs> I love it. Intentions, right? Put it out into the universe and it will come to you. Yes. Honestly, like that was a great conversation. Um, thank you so much for your time. Like no problem. I think that entire part, I was just like, yep, yep. <laughs> I hope I made sense and I hope I wasn't rambling because I this is the stuff that gets me excited and, you know, keeps me up and wakes me up. And yeah, so I hope I made sense and communicated effectively. But yeah, this is a passion of mine. And I'm so glad to see both of you young and in your 20s thriving and doing amazing stuff. So keep it up. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Hearing that from you also, you know, 
it's so hard. Yeah, because like I know we've talked about like compliments before, and I was like about to like kind of like bounce that compliment back, being like, no, and then I was like, no, you know what? Yeah, take it, take it, like exactly. Let it sit. Let it sit. Let it sit. Yeah, like, you know, so, um, and also, but I mean, I am going to bounce it back. I'm super excited that you kind of like spilled the tea about, you know, your upcoming project and we will definitely keep an eye out for it as well. And we'll be more than happy to share. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to work on it and all the cool coffee shops that I'm going to be heading up the summer. So yeah, it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> And that was our conversation with Dr. Prana. It was so good. Yeah, I, I thought we had a great conversation. Um, we were able to hit a lot of the key points, I think, that we wanted to discuss during this episode specifically. Um, and overall, I just really liked her perspective. I also liked that we were able to challenge her perspective mm-hmm. um, because I think, you know, coming in from a clinician's perspective versus us being uh, patients and, you know, dealing with, the healthcare system, I think that brought a different perspective as well. I absolutely agree in that. I think that that conversation around privilege Mm -hmm. when -hmm. it comes to health advocacy is so, so important, right? Because even saying, oh, seek out primary literature is very much so like that health literacy gap is so real. Like the average reading level of the population is at grade eight mm-hmm. comprehensions at grade eight, right? That's not a very high level in terms of being able to wrap your head around, um, literature. And we've talked about this, like we, we have. have to read things over and over and we have a master's yeah. and science related. We've been reading papers for years. So I think it was really nice to be able to challenge that perspective. But then I also loved that this was like a clinician focused perspective, right? I'd mm-hmm. love to get on more kind of chronic disease patients on to also get their perspective because I think absolutely I think we'd be able to just kind of have a little bit of a banter like a contrast yeah 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 and I think a lot of the population doesn't necessarily get that insight into a clinician perspective because it's so easy to like go to a physician or your family physician and complain and be like wow she gave me like 30 seconds she doesn't care about me aka me last week but like yeah <laughs> but like but when you actually the- sit down with them like they care right but then yeah. there's almost this miscommunication that occurs things get lost in translation absolutely I think the system bogs you down yes mm-hmm. people make up the system but I think again like systems are made years like they take years and decades to make and like we've come at, to this point where it's not working anymore right so yeah a revolution is needed indeed <laughs> no I agree like you brought up the point where it's like you know like it's easier said than done to like also not consider another perspective and I think I don't know when we were talking about this like it made me realize like how important like how important like I think about like even just like when you create a product, right? Like, you know, how important doing user needs assessments are because you really Mm want to look at different perspectives. You really want to know who your end users are, but you also want to know who they're interacting with, right? And like a lot of times I noticed throughout our conversation, it came back to us being like, there are a lot of gaps, right? There are a lot of miscommunication. It's not one person's fault. Like, I think that's the other thing that was kind of identified throughout this conversation is that clinicians are trying, clinicians do care. It's just that there are a lot of gaps, you know, it's resources are limited, right? There aren't that many of them to be able to provide the care that we want to receive, right? Or, you know, like 
a lot of us also aren't i guess like pushed in the direction of like you know speak with confidence like i don't know we've never been i, I guess that was another thing that i was like i guess you're never taught like as a patient how to talk to a doctor right like you've never been like you know like hey like i need to come in confidently and you know you they tell you they tell you those things like if you're going to a job interview or you know if you're being interviewed for something but i guess in a way going to see a clinician is also like you're being interviewed like you know so go in there confidently that's a really good like insight because i never thought of that interviewing perspective but at the same time i know we talked a little bit about cognitive biases Mm -hmm. so i wonder like if somebody has a cognitive bias against you like to what extent is walking in confidently going to further perpetuate that bias in some cases Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then in what cases like it doesn't matter what you do there's going to be that cognitive bias and I know like there's a lot of training that goes on within the healthcare system it's something that's you know talked about more and more especially with the social determinants of health yeah but there's I think a lot of work to be done to create those more inclusive spaces absolutely I think you know what like it's kind of like the same thing right like when you start sharing your knowledge more like and you know hopefully like with Prana's like the knowledge translation project that she's starting like when knowledge is shared it creates that a little bit more of like an equal playing ground right so maybe that can slowly work towards getting rid of that bias right if everyone is starting to be more confident if everyone's coming in you know it can hopefully start like reversing it like obviously it will take years for that to happen but i think one step forward you know trying to help close that gap i do still believe like i still have hope that it is doable and like you know that's part of our jobs that's what we're kind of working towards and Mm -hmm. i know that's also something that we're passionate about ourselves so, you know, like working towards being able to close those gaps in order to provide a better healthcare experience. And like, I loved also learning about like the whole idea of having the relationship aspect of it, right? Like, cause I guess, you know, coming from our background, like we always learn about patient-centric care, but I liked learning about the whole idea of like relationship-centric care, you know, mm-hmm. realizing that it's a two-way streak. It's not just solely on the patient, right? It's a two-way, it's a relationship. So yeah. I thought that was really cool and a unique perspective that was kind of like reiterated, I think, to me as well. To tie it back into China our 20s, mm-hmm. I think that idea of not letting your 20s happen to you was mm-hmm. so... Love like, that. Needed to hear that. I'm like, you Love know what? That. I'm going to happen to my 20s from now on. So watch out. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. No, I literally told my friend <laughs> after and I was like, they asked, they were like, oh, like, what was the advice? And I was like, well... You'll find out when you listen to the episode what that final oh advice God. was. <laughs> we love that promo. We love that like hook. Yeah, because I was like, no, you need to wait till the very end for that final mic drop of, you know, what it is her advice is to those of us in our 20s because I thought that was key. And I think both of us kind of needed it to hear it, especially after the weeks that we've had. So, you know, I think we're proud of you. I'm proud of you, Paula V, for, you know, letting yourself happen to your 20s and not the other way around. So... Um, but yeah, we hope that everyone enjoyed this conversation. Um, I know we did and like always continue sharing. We would really appreciate it with your friends, whoever you think would maybe benefit from this conversation, especially, you know, like, you know, anyone going through any health problems or anything like that. And we will definitely leave also Dr. Prana's like information, um, when we make this post and, you know, feel free to connect with any one of us if you have any more questions and continue to give us a follow follow on the Instagram at chai20s and we will see you all next time. Bye.